Number one, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. <laughs> Number two, before you criticize somebody, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away from them and you still also have their shoes. <laughs> Number three, <laughs> this one's true, profound thoughts on life. Remember, if you think that nobody cares you're alive, try missing a couple of car payments. <laughs> true. And the last one, the one that I find the most extraordinary, never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> yes. If you don't understand that, don't worry. Don't worry. Just go home and think it over, you know. So awesome. He, no, he didn't take a sleeping pill. All right. Hey, uh, let me mention it real fast. We are going to be on a plane relatively soon after service, so I don't make any profit off my books, but they're in the lobby if you want them. This is Maria's favorite and probably one of my favorites, Geniusms. It's all sorts of, of one-liners from my messages that are easy to remember, divided into about 60 topics. I went through about 40 years of messages to put that one together. This is a leadership book, Thriving Youth Groups. This is one that every middle school, high school, and young adult would enjoy. Dating Declassified on Friendship and, and Dating. And just people tell me all the time that's so easy to read. And this is the one that so many people grab. Um, uncensored Finding God When He Feels Far Away. I grew up in a great church like this one, but they made, they acted like you felt God all the time and that if you didn't feel him when you were praying or worshiping, something was wrong. And that's quite unbiblical. And so this book talks about navigating the, the no feeling time, finding God when he feels far away. So if you're interested, right out there, right after service. I want to feel like I leave a small deposit in this great church. And, and so I've prayed and thought much over what I wanted to share this morning. And so, if you will, title of my message is about really my Old Testament female hero. Remember Rizba, R-I-Z. P-A-H. Remember Rispa. Okay, look at your neighbor just to make sure that everybody's awake and say, remember Rispa, so you can't forget her name. Come on, look at your neighbor. Remember Rispa. Rispa, remember Rispa. Some of you are rebellious. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I pray you're not constipated later. All right. I'm having fun. I'm sorry. You can tell I've been in young adult and youth ministry for a while. She's one of my favorite Old Testament ladies because of what she did. She was really quite minute in the Old Testament. <clears throat> uh, I'll give you background on her. Uh, there had been, <clears throat> pardon me, a famine 
in uh, the land. And so the king was trying to figure out, David was trying to figure out why the famine was still going, what they had done to grieve the heart of Jehovah. Finally, the Lord revealed to him that back in earlier days during his dad's reign, Saul, that, that some of the people had done what he had told them not to do. They had conquered the Gibeonites and they had killed some of them. And, and Saul had been specifically told by Jehovah, don't do that, don't kill any of them, but he did. And so this famine was the Lord withholding his blessing until that was repented of and made right. So the biblical account says, finally, David said, oh, tell us how to break this famine. And the Lord revealed to him what the sin was. And then when he went to the people to say, okay, what, we, we know we should not have done that. And he apologized to the Gibeonites. The Gibeonite leaders said, we'll consider it even if you allow us to kill, to hang, three of Saul's male relatives. Find us three of his relatives, the closest in the gene line to somebody still living, and we will impale them, hang them in front of all of Gibeon. And so that's what happened. And Rizpah was the mom of those, of two of those three boys. Did you catch that? Rispa was a mom, two of those three boys. Now, let me stop for a minute and say to you, because she happens to be a female and <clears throat> I'm a female, that doesn't mean this is a ladies only message. Because the heart of Rispa and what I would hope my heart is and what the heart of this church is, is excitedly becoming, is a heart aggressively to take care of people, to fight the enemy off, and to stand, as it were, in the gap and to make a difference in their lives for Christ. So whether you're male or female immaterial at this point, I hope you, you leave wanting to be a little bit more Arispa. Let me read to you her obscure story in the Old Testament since I gave you background. It's 2 Samuel 21 and edited parts of verses 1 through 14. There was a famine during King David's reign that lasted three years. And David spent so much time in prayer asking the Lord what was causing the famine. And then the Lord said, the famine is because of the guilt of Saul. He murdered the Gibeonites during his reign. So King David summoned the Gibeonites. And King David said, what can we do to get rid of ourselves of this guilt? We want God to bless us again and to end the famine. And the Gibeonites said, give us seven of Saul's sons. I said three, but I was wrong. Seven of Saul's relative sons the sons of the man who did his best to destroy us. And we will hang all seven of his son's relatives before the Lord in Gibeon. All right, King David answered. 
So David ordered seven of Saul's sons to be hung by the Gibeonites, and two of them were the sons of Rizpah. The men of Gibeon hung them, and all seven of them died at the beginning of the barley season. Catch that, because I'm going to talk about months in a minute. At the beginning of the barley season. Then Rizpah, the mother of two of the seven who were hung, refused to leave. She spread sackcloth on a rock and stayed there through the entire barley season to prevent the vultures from tearing at their bodies during the day and to prevent the wild animals from eating at their dead, decaying bodies at night. And when King David heard what Rizpah was doing, he sent his men to get the dead bodies of Rizpah's sons. And he arranged for her boys' bodies to be buried with honor in the king's grave that had been earlier given to Saul. Pretty big deal, you know? Who was Rizpah? Let me recap it again for you. She was the mom of two of the, the guys who were hung. And as we get the idea, as she stood there, there appears to be no attempt after they died to get them down off where they were hung, impaled. So we're going to assume that she was either too weak or too old to be able to somehow get their dead bodies off those crosses. And we know that she stayed there throughout the entire barley season, that they were hung at the beginning of the barley season, and the scripture says she stayed the whole barley season. I did a little bit of research, approximately, give or take, five months she was there. On, it said, on the rock, waving away all of the vultures and, and the animals that would normally eat at dead, decaying bodies. Why am I talking about Rispa? Let me be honest with you. I've done 52 exciting, very fulfilling years in full-time ministry, and I'm still hard at it. I told the leadership team yesterday, I don't even like bingo. So, you know, that's, you didn't think that was funny. Okay. Or maybe you do like bingo. That's wonderful. Especially if you make money playing bingo. Have at it. Tied to the church. But nonetheless, I, what I'm saying is I still am all in for kingdom purposes. All in. And, and so, you know what? This heart of a rispa where, where you care about people. And certainly you're not out in the middle of the wilderness with sackcloth, but in your own ways as a friend, in your prayer life, doing acts of kindness, you can help to beat the spiritual vultures away. Because let me explain to you, there are a lot of spiritually dead and decaying bodies out there. Spiritually decaying. And you know what is concerning to me about the 21st century church? Not yours, 
But this is to be on guard against, having watched it for 52 years. I think the church world has gotten better programs, but we've gotten more challenged with people. Do you hear that? And you see, Jesus didn't die on the cross for programs. Jesus died for individual people, one person at a time. Jesus doesn't go, oh my goodness, let's do the head count on how many showed up at Orlando Calvary this morning, although we have a great great group of congregation here and those of you online. We're so honored to have you with us. But see, again, crowds don't amaze him. Individual people are where his focus goes. And I said to the leaders yesterday, and I know you know this, it's not up to your amazing pastoral team and pastors Kevin and Maria to build this church. You build this church. Because you see, the church is not built from big crusades. It's built one person at a time, being a rispa to some people. I wrote on my, my notes here, in the new 21st century church, unfortunately, we make talent a suitable alternative to genuine anointing. And that's tragic. That's tragic. And, and so, one of the reasons why you're so blessed to have Kevin and Maria here is I, I don't know I've ever known any wonderful uh, people like them who care more for individual lives than they do. Who are, uh, when my husband Sam passed away, my heart grieved for a hundred thousand reasons, but one is he was such a good shepherd, and I don't see a lot of shepherds in the ministry anymore. They're shepherds, and you need to thank God that you came to a wonderful church that have them. So <clears throat> what was Rizba's biggest achievement in life? Well, I can tell you what I think it was. She just didn't quit. She just stayed out there. I'm sure people in the town made fun of her. Everybody else left, the moms or the relatives of the other four young men who were, who were hung, they left. And she just refused, the other five, pardon me, she just refused to quit. And she stayed out there. And again, they must have occasionally brought some food and water to her because we have no indication that she left for five months. And, and that's the heart I want to have. I'm on stages all the time, spoken to crowds as big as 60,000, but quite honestly, I'm not sure I changed any of those 60,000. I hope the Word of God was powerful and something Jesus had me say impacted maybe some of them longer than the first five hours after service, but this is how I know I can impact people one-on-one, -on -one. just honestly giving a rip about people. That's what my challenge is to you today. And when they get smelly in their spiritual decay, their apathy, their indifference, their lust, their lies, their self-centeredness, Name any sin you want to name. 
It's not like you whitewash the sin, but the rispas don't run away from spiritual decay. They stay in Jesus' name on the rock, which obviously is Christ Jesus. And, and they say, on Christ the solid rock, I really am standing. And I'm going to keep praying for you and loving on you and showing you genuine Christian love. See, people are not so changed by our words, but by our life. And so if you'll let me, I'm not trying to be extreme, but let me do a, just a quick little enactment of Rispa. What I think it might have been for her those, those months when she was staying there night and day trying to beat the vultures away. And let's envision the crosses in front of me. Get away! Get away! Those are my boys! Leave them alone! I said, eat the other five! Boys, it's, it's mama. It's mama. <clears throat> you, you know what it doesn't. You, you know when they came for you, I tried to stop them up. I know you heard me. I threw myself on them. I said, take me, but they wouldn't have a woman. They said, they said that it had to be you. I saw the looks in your eyes. You, you couldn't understand. I couldn't either. I didn't know they were coming. And then I, I followed and I was there when they put those gushing nails into you. I picked up it they did it to stop. Did you hear me? I did everything a mom could do. I begged them. It's my boys. Take me, do anything, but not my boys. But they didn't listen. They laughed at me. So here I am. Everybody else has left. <laughs> I'm not leaving you, though, boys. They make fun of me in the town. The old, the old lady's gone crazy hanging out with her dead sons. I know you're dead. And sometimes, oh, like then, when the wind comes, oh, the odor. It's, it's, it's demoralizing, but it's you. Do you hear me? But alive! Get away! It's you. It's you too. I, I'm your mama. Do you both hear me? I'm not Rispa to you. I'm mama. 
mama. And no matter how bad you stink, I'm not letting these vultures and wild animals eat you alive. Because I'm not leaving, boys. Jeremy, no matter what, I'm not giving up. Where's that heart for people now? Not in dramatic or relational or emotional forms. Who are you being a rispa to? Hopefully your family, but I came from a non-safe family. If some other people had not pulled me up close, I wouldn't be a Christian today. So she's who I want you to be captivated by. Let me talk about just some modern things, you know. How, how do you become a modern Rizpa? And how do, you, how do you do that for real in 21st century America? You're not going to walk into Taco Bell tomorrow and start waving, you know, sackcloth around. How do you do that? How do you beat the vultures away from your friends, your family, and the people that... See, this time next year, this sanctuary will have even more wonderful people here. But it, it won't be, and again, services are anointed and wonderful, but it, it won't be because we have a one-man show on the platform. It will be, certainly it's anointed when you ask guests to come, but even more important, it will be the Jesus in you. Kevin and Maria and Brian and Carolyn have heard me tell this story a thousand times. I didn't plan to tell it, but maybe it will bless some of you. A little girl would cry at night. She was so scared of the dark, and her mom would sit with her until she fell asleep. Finally, one night, the mama said, honey, I can't sit with you tonight. I have the flu, and, and I, I, I just can't sit up. And the little girl begged her. She said, mama, please sit with me. I'll fall asleep fast tonight. And the mama said, baby, I'm so ill. I can't. But I'm in the next room. I'll leave the night light on. And besides, honey, Jesus is right here with you. And the little girl said immortal words. She said, Mama, right now I need Jesus with skin on. I had to choose what my epitaph was on my tombstone. I didn't even think ahead when I chose my husband's. You know, I put on his, our hero, forever. And then they told me I had to choose my own side. Well, that's awkward and real, but the only thing they put on my side is the plate when I die. You know, I'm going to outlive most of you, so don't hang around waiting for it. But I, I said, well, I can't choose my own epitaph. And then my two adult sons said, we can choose it. 
And so on the top of my side, it says, Jesus with skin on. I'm not at all convinced that my preaching or my, my ministries that have grown are going to change the universe. But I think that Jesus inside of me and how Jesus made some people feel because of authentic friendship and love, I think that will change some people. So, you know what? Let me go ahead and tell you three things that I think epitomize a 21st century RISPA. And I challenge you to do it with other people. I hope you're thinking of people right now that someday you'd love to have sitting next to you in church that you could be more of a RISPA to. Number one, they listen more than they talk. That's really good. They listen more than they talk. And, and they listen with ears that really hear. They listen more than they talk. And when they listen with ears that really hear. I, I said yesterday, the leaders, I think a lot of churches are full of TRT. I'm going to hope you don't have much around here. TRT stands for typical religious talk, you know, the stuff you say in the lobby. Like, even this morning, probably a few of you stopped fights in your car before you parked it, and you were chewing each other out or chewing your kids out, and you walk into the lobby, good morning, you know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, brother, that God has allowed us to come together. Bless you, you know. I, I love to do that in big, big preacher meetings. This cracks me up all the time. I'm a little bit, um, I, I can be feisty. I don't want to call myself rebellious, just feisty sometimes. So the, the AG has something called general counsel. I've spoken at it. I honor the AG, but all these preachers, and they're all, you know, nobody's listening. Everybody's talking. And so, you know, uh, at one and not too terribly long ago, how are you? How are you? How are you? Nobody's, nobody gives a rip how anybody is. They're just doing their thing. And when they came to me, I said, I'm suicidal. How are you? With a big grin on my face. And they never caught it. They just went on. So, hey, you know, I'm not suggesting you do that. But I'm just saying, TRT, we just, we talk a whole lot better then we listen. And I love the scripture, James 1:19. I'm reminded so often, be slow to speak, but swift to listen. You know? Swift to listen. Number two, I think if you're a RISPA, you serve more than you control. You listen more than you talk. You serve more than you control. RISPAs, my RISPA moments are not platform moments. They're one person at a time moments. And, and they aren't profound moments, you know. It's just doing simple things for people. And, and I love, and we all know the scripture, Matthew 23, 11, whoever's the greatest among you, let him be leader of all. Obviously, it doesn't say that. Let him be servant of all. Oh, gosh. I have a million memories, but none much sweeter than one night when a teenager came over and rang our doorbell late at night, and he was very drunk, 
And I was grateful he came to visit me because he wasn't going to make it home in good shape. And so I let him crash on my couch. I called his mom and said, I don't want you to worry. He's with me. You don't want him driving right now. I'll send him home in the morning. So I gave him his blanket, went back to bed, and then I heard the sound. The sound. He'd been out partying, and it was, you know, that. Sorry, if you don't know what that is, that's called puking, you know. And so, uh, you know, he, it always cracks me up. You know, college kids and teenagers, after they get drunk, the weekend was great. And I'm thinking, what about hugging the white porcelain goddess was great. I mean, help me understand why that was so enjoyable. But nonetheless, you know, he puked his little guts out, and then I helped him back to the couch, and uh, this was in Kevin and Maria's era, and, and then I was wiping up <laughs> the chunks, you know, it was glorious all around. And I remember, and, I, and there's not a million times that I'll say, Jesus spoke. He speaks through his word, but very rarely is it close to audible. And it wasn't audible, but it was really close to it. And he said to me, you're pleasing me now. There I was, wiping up vomit. See, being a servant isn't a big glamorous moment. And it's usually when nobody else is seeing but you and Jesus. The story's told of Watchman Nee, the amazing Christian leader, wrote so many books and was so heroic, especially in China, that a Western reporter came to China to the commune that he was running to interview him for, I think it was Life magazine or something, years ago. And uh, when he got there, he had the appointment with Reverend Nee, Watchman Nee, and he, he asked the people at the gate to the commune, commune, uh, where is he? And they pointed to this man who was kind of a bit bent over, and he was pushing a wheelbarrow full of manure that obviously was going to be used in a garden somewhere. And so, of course, the Western photographer knew he'd misunderstood or they'd misunderstood. That wasn't Watchman Nee pushing the wheelbarrow. So I went looking all around, kept getting, and finally, once again, they, they pointed very specifically at that man who was still doing the same very humbling job. And so he went up and he awkwardly introduced himself uh, to Watchman Nee. And when they got alone for the interview, he said, Reverend, I, no disrespect, but I just have to ask, you're a watchman me. You're the leader of all of these people. And yet, as I meet you, you are pushing a wheelbarrow full of manure to fertilize a garden. I don't understand why. And watchman me said in mortal words, he said, they have made me their leader. So I have made myself their servant. Isn't that good? So when you're a rispa, that verse in Matthew about the greatest among you servant of all, that's not, that's not just a, a verse, you know? That's being loving when they don't deserve to have somebody be kind back. 
that's picking up an extra cup of coffee with somebody at the office and bringing it back to them. It's many times serving them by listening, by catching moods and voice tones, and, and asking if they're okay more than one time. It's doing pragmatic stuff like mowing a lawn or being nice to their children. The list is very unimpressive, but friendship shown in simple ways means the world to people. I am quite sure when I get to heaven that I will have loved more people into heaven than I preached into it. Do you hear that? Because again, your best evangelism is a heart of kindness, of rispa. That's how you beat the spiritual vultures away. And last of all, rispas uh, listen more than they talk, and they serve more than they control, but they also pray much more than they preach. Now, we all pray differently, so don't get the idea that to be a person of prayer, you have to fit a certain formula or be weird or all that other stuff. But I, I want to say again, public oration, preaching or whatever is amazing of Jesus Christ. So that is obviously very scriptural. But gosh, one of my little comments I say in that Genieism book is, hell fears when it sees the weakest Christian on his knees. And isn't that true? You know, I, I will once in a while ask myself, Jeannie, how long has it been since hell got a little nervous because of your prayer life when you got out of bed in the morning? Again, it's not the public moments. It's, it's the moments of praying and praying when you don't feel like it. That's why that book out there I wrote, Uncensored, Finding God When He Feels Far Away. If I only prayed when I felt God, I wouldn't pray much. If you have to pray or if you feel like your spirituality is in some way connected with your emotions, you're in trouble because there's nowhere in the scripture where it links your true spirituality to how spiritual you feel. Now, right choices will eventually bring right emotions, but how beautiful to understand your feelings have nothing to do with how truly Christ-like and, and spiritual you are. And so you pray when you don't feel like praying. And you read the Word of God when you sure don't feel like reading. Because, again, you worship when you don't feel like worshiping. Because that's what Rispas do. She wasn't standing on the rock with that sackcloth for all those months and thinking, boy, I feel like waving the vultures away. Jesus didn't lay his hands on the cross for the nails to go through, saying, I feel like hanging today. And yet, somehow in our culture, we act like our spirituality should be entangled with our feelings. That's a lie. Sometimes, and I say this in the book, Finding God When You're Far Away, when Jesus is on the cross, it says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And, and I make this very important sentence. Sometimes, 
Jesus was proving to us on the cross that sometimes the moments that you feel God the Father the least, you are doing the most for the kingdom. Do you hear that? And that's my challenge to all of you. Be Rizba. See, people talk about church hurt and, and all this stuff, and all that's true. So please, I've had plenty of church hurt. But there comes a point that you have to say, listen, I'm going to stop whining about that, and I'm going to give away to others the healing I needed for myself. And then you become so threatening to the enemy because you see, I, I say it often, many times the greatest revenge you could ever pay on hell will be your perseverance. Just staying in the game. Just praying when you don't feel like praying and listening when you need somebody to listen to you and serving when you're thinking secretly, you ungrateful snobs. <laughs> love you with the love of the Lord, but, you know, and they probably are ungrateful snobs. So let me, let me show you how this ends. It's 2 Samuel 21, and it's edited parts of verses 11 through 14. I read it to you before. It says, when King David learned about what Rizpah had done, he arranged for her son's bones to be buried in the king's grave that was given to Saul. So in other words, he sent his guys and he said, get the ladies' kids down. And by this time, there probably was not much left of the decaying body, but the bones when they pulled it down from the cross. But if you understand anything about Old Testament culture, you know it is an immense big deal to be buried in the same tomb with the king's grave. Big deal. And so King David said, those women, the, the bones and the bodies of, of, of Rizpah, her sons, get them down. Didn't say anything about the other five. Get those two boys down and tell the mom, we're going to bury her boys in the same vault with, with King Saul and quite probably King David after that. Hey. Life has bumps. I've had a few. When my husband died <clears throat> from a stroke and then had serious dementia that I'd never heard of before, Lewy body dementia, and he passed away four years ago, I wanted to pull the sheet over my head and not commit suicide, but just say, hey, I've done ministry for, at that point, almost 50 years, so, you know, I put in my time and I'm going to chill. But it was that sense of, again, perseverance can be the greatest revenge most of us pay to hell. Let me tell you one class, last story because Jesus was a parable teller, and you'll remember that. A guy named Lou, true story in World War II, uh, hurt seriously in battle, leg blown off. And so <clears throat> the system on the, the war field at that point was triage when there were too many guys. They'd bring them into the medic tank and quickly the medics would evaluate them. And they put an indiscreet tag on the end of the bed, red, for, hey, it's hopeless. Don't try to air back this guy out. He's not gonna make it. 
and then a blue tag on the end of the bed. They said, get the guy out of here pretty fast. If he gets prompt medical care, he will make it. And a, a white tag on the people that were, you know, they, they were not desperate at all. They're going to be okay <clears throat> after we get all the blue tags out. We'll, we'll move the white tags. And Lou was bleeding so profusely with his leg cut off that when they came past him, they put a red tag quietly, though he didn't realize on the end of his cot. No need to try. He's not going to make it. And as they went about their business, a nurse at the nurse's station was kind of near him. And she saw that even though he was bleeding prolifically, he wasn't, he wasn't passing out. So she knew there was a red tag there. And she thought, I, I don't want him to be alone as he dies. So she pulled up an old folding chair up next to his cot, and she began to talk to him and found out his story, his family, and his dreams for the future. And he still stayed conscious. And so finally, she couldn't bear to just let him lay there and keep bleeding out and die. She snuck when others were not looking, and she took the red tag off the end of his cot and put a blue one. So he was air vacked out taken care of, went on to lead a very fulfilling life. That's my challenge to you. That's, that's what I still am trying to do. Change a few people's tags. Hell has put a blue tag on them and said, they're never going to be anything much. They're not going to they're, they're going to always be whoever they are. See beyond what, what everybody else sees and say, <clears throat> I'm going to be a rispa to you. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm also going to be pragmatic in the ways that will matter to you, and I'm going to love you. And, and I'm going to build a bridge from my heart to yours. And one day with the power of Jesus, you're going to let Jesus walk over that bridge. That's what a rispa does. And so if you will today, I promise I'll, I'll take no more than my few minutes left on that that wonderful countdown clock. But unless an emergency, I'm going to ask you not to leave. This is a really sacred moment. That I'm with you at this era of your church is a monumental honor to me. And there are a million ties together. I hope you let me come back because I want to be more than a guest speaker here. I want to feel like I own a tiny slice of the destiny that's ahead for this church.
Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.